Outkick 360 is back, ready to kick off a, a big week and a big show alongside Chad Withrow and Paul Kuharski. I'm Jonathan Hutton. Glad you're with us. Lance Lee making the show happen along with David Reed. Jacob Swanson with a well-deserved day off. He returns to the show later this week. We Regan McCrossin as our production assistant today along with Jake Popoff and Sarah Triplett. We are uh, excited for today's show, leading off with the news of the weekend, the news of the NFL nationally and locally. Julio Jones is a Tennessee Titan. They trade a second-round pick next year along with a fourth-round pick in 2023 in exchange for Julio Jones and a sixth-round pick in 2023. Guys, welcome. What's up? I think there are few moves in sports, and, and pick your sport, where uh, universally everyone can come together, every critic, every fan, and at least say, here is what this team is doing, and I approve. And this is one of those moves that I think everyone universally will agree upon because at least it's a team going for it. This is a go-for-it move by the Tennessee Titans. This is a Super Bowl or bust type move and decision by the Titans. I think even if you want to nitpick and say, well, if they didn't draft Isaiah Wilson and they should have addressed tight end and should have addressed defense more and all that, great. I mean, every team has things they need to address more. Um, Paul, I think that it's a move that shows John Robinson clearly sees the window that we've been talking about of the next two or three years of a team that could go win a Super Bowl. And because of that, I'm not hearing a lot of criticisms about this move because Love it or hate it, it's designed to go win a Super Bowl. Well, it's reassuring that the Tennessee Titans, for, for people in Nashville, saw what everybody in Nashville saw, and that they didn't think that Josh Reynolds was the number two receiver, that they didn't think that Nick Westbrook, Aquina, and Cam Batson were number three receivers, that they didn't think that they somehow magically were going to replace what they lost in terms of receptions and touchdowns and, and play action uh, when Corey Davis went to the Jets and when Johnny Smith went to the Patriots with the minor moves that they've made. This reestablishes some sort of natural order. They've got two top receivers, a, a one and a two, or a one A and a one B now. Everybody now falls into a natural spot. Josh Reynolds is a three, which is where Josh Reynolds should be. These other guys are on the periphery, which is where they should be. And Hutt, to take it further, a defense that they've got six new guys in their top 12 and is expected to be better doesn't have to be monumentally better. It's got to get from 29th, as we talk about all the time, to something like in the middle of the pack. If the Titans defense can go from 29th to the middle of the pack, that's a monstrous increase because the offense should be as good or better than it's been. This trade tells everyone that they are wanting to win and contend in 2021. And you can make the argument, and I, I may buy into part of this, prior to this trade, we, we see five to seven teams per year that flip-flop, that are in the playoffs and out of the playoffs. And you can make the argument with the 17th game added, the Titans were not a playoff team uh, with without addressing the depth at wide receiver and what they had lost on offense because you're relying, as Paul just pointed out and perfectly said, you're relying on six new starters defensively for a defense that was horrid a year ago. Um, that would have to drastically improve to take this team further. It, the, one of the hardest things to do in the entire NFL is to maintain. 
to maintain your team and improve what you did the year before. The Titans have five straight winning seasons. But what they're saying is, it is time to push the chips to the middle of the table and go all in. It is time to pay for a premier wide receiver. He's 32, but still has a lot of tread on the tires. We're going to get to that in a moment. This is a move that says, we're close. It's time to go all in and make a true run for it. And Robinson can sit and talk publicly on his press conference about how his job is to acquire the best talent and just let the chips fall where they may. And that's true. That, that, that's a good job description. But let's be honest here. Privately, they're saying this team is good enough to go win a Super Bowl. And it's time to put some talent behind that mantra. They are close. They, they've spent time and effort and money and resources and years, years of saying we're building to three years from now when Robinson took over. His whole thing was you have to start inside out. Start with the offensive and defensive line and work your way out. And this is a move that says they've done that and it's time to go for Lombardi. There's so many different permutations to this, and we're going to hit on a ton yeah. of angles. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. And, um, so we're just going to hit them as they come up. One that strikes me is two years ago, they lost in the AFC Championship game in Kansas City. And they came out of that, and Kansas City then was established. That's the year they won the Super Bowl. And everybody then says Kansas City's the target, right? And that's the way the league works. The team that wins the are. Super Bowl becomes the benchmark. And um, most teams in the AFC said the way that we're going to keep up with Kansas City is to build an offense like Kansas City. Like Denver comes immediately to mind. What did Denver do? They started getting more wide receivers. They're like, we're going to have to throw and score to keep up with Kansas City. But the Titans kind of showed a discipline, and they said, we're going to stay with who we are. We're still going to be a Derrick Henry-led offense. We can throw it, but we're not going to say, oh, my God, we need to load up on wide receivers. Like, what was the biggest theme coming out of that was they couldn't cover the Chiefs out of the slot. Logan Ryan was a good player from them, but Mike Vrabel said that offseason when they were showing no interest in re-signing Logan Ryan as his contract came up, hey, that slot position has become a lot more vertical than horizontal like it was just three years ago when we signed Logan Ryan, and we've got to get faster in the slot. And they drafted Christian Fulton, and, and things didn't come to fruition there, but that mm. was one of their attempts in terms of staying on par with the, with the, with the Chiefs was – we're going to tweak defending the Chiefs. We're on a good course defensively, but we're not going crazy like to turn into the Chiefs. We're not going to beat the Chiefs by being the Chiefs. And this isn't trying to be the Chiefs, but this certainly is saying we've got to keep up with the Joneses, yes. hard, pardon the pun. We've got to be able to slug it out offensively as well as defend them. And we certainly can't do it having lost Corey Davis and Julio and uh, Johnny Smith without adding a chip. A significant shift. This elevates them into the conversation of top AFC contenders. Kansas City, Buffalo, them. And Baltimore. Baltimore. I'm not a big Baltimore guy because I don't And I would still put Indy in that mix. And All depending on when. Right, yeah. right. Um, but the, the Titans now, with the four-pack that they have, with Tannehill at quarterback, who has been extremely efficient, and, and some of his uh, – numbers in, in the categories he's placed top five in the league um we'll, we'll get to his role in all of this in a moment derrick henry in the backfield the offense still goes through derrick henry make no mistake about that this is derrick henry's offense going through 22 or whatever number he wants to move to <laughs> moving forward he's staying. he's staying at 22 this year and then you have aj brown who is an elite number one wide receiver in the league 
someone that you invest in to be a future uh, big contract guy that you're going to build an offense around. And another legit number one wide receiver who produces when he's on the field in Julio Jones, even at age 32. And for the critics who say you don't trade for a 32-year-old wide receiver on the back end of his career, remember what I'm only putting this in the category of elite pro football Hall of Fame talents at the position. When the New England Patriots traded for Randy Moss going into his 10th season, people thought that the the Patriots were, were foolish for that because of the age and the durability factor of guys on the back end of their career. We know how things worked out for Randy Moss in New England. Plenty of, of great years left in him teaming up with Tom Brady and that system. Now Julio Jones comes in going into year number 11, a year older in, in this lineage, and now teams up with an offense that averaged last year 31 points per game and a quarterback that since he took over in week 7 of 2019 has won 18 games for the franchise. This is a momentum shift for this team and for the AFC because now you can't just load the box and defend the top weapon for the Tennessee Titans. Or double the other You can't double A.J. Yeah. Brown and take him away and then put an extra man in the box and then not worry about the one-on-one matchups. Julio Jones, while at 32, I'm not expecting him to run the same speed that he ran at the NFL Combine, which was in the four threes. But he's much more nuanced in his route running. He can still get over the top of a corner. And the combat catch type receivers that they have in him and A.J. Brown now give them so many options because with with Josh Reynolds, too, he can line up on the outside or inside. A.J. Brown and Julio Jones can line up outside or inside. And they still can turn around and hand the ball off to Derrick Henry. That's why it's a momentum shift for this offense and why defensive coordinators are scrambling to defend them right now. Remember the years and years that we were talking about the Titans looking for one number one receiver. And now suddenly they for have 20 two years. number one receivers yes. on this team. Yeah. And, and maybe a guy that's going to be a top five receiver all time uh, when his career's over. In Julio Jones, statistically at least, he's, he's right up there. But... Not only this, but the offense now. And, Paul, you talked about the Chiefs and how they're doing and how teams are trying to replicate that. With Derrick Henry and the way he runs, and now two stud receivers, both number one receivers, that neither one of them blow the top off a defense with speed. Julio Jones can get down the field, get vertical, and go get it. A.J. Brown, he is a threat because every time he catches it, he's such a combination of just raw talent balance, strength, that he's tough to bring down. He's tough for a defensive back to bring down once he gets the ball. He's faster than people give him credit for. Absolutely. Good game speed. Julio Jones, same way. Hutton said, maybe not in the four threes, like at the start of his career, but still fast enough. But it's sort of, to me, it replicates what the Titans are. When you look at Derrick Henry's size and how he plays, now you have these two receivers who have good size, who are tough to bring down once they get the ball. It's just different. This is a very different offense to prepare for. We've got and a very different team to prepare for with stars everywhere. And I think Ryan Tannehill's the one getting the short end of the stick with the coverage because suddenly this has become a, a, a trifecta of Derrick Henry, Julio Jones, A.J. Brown. And boy, Ryan Tannehill can't even screw this up. Yeah. Right? Look at what Ryan Tannehill has played. And I'm thinking, look at Ryan Tannehill's stats since he's been the starter for the Tennessee Titans. This is also, these guys are now paired with a guy who's emerging into elite status as a quarterback. 
statistically the last two years. It's good for them, too. Yeah. This is not just even Ryan Tannehill can't screw this up anymore. This is great for these guys because Tannehill has played at an elite level. The yeah. people who don't want to credit Tannehill pin a lot on the playoffs. The run to the AFC Championship game, they didn't have to ask a lot of them because Henry was going crazy. And then last year's playoff game, everybody was bad. They, they couldn't find a way to throw over the top when Baltimore was having great success stopping Henry. It was just a bad game. It was a bad game for Tannehill. It was a bad game for Arthur Smith. It was a bad game. Corey Davis disappeared, like literally disappeared, like was on the bench. Uh, it, it was just a bad game, and, and, and it's taken on too much of a spotlight for people that aren't familiar enough with this team. You're talking about size. I mean, AJ and Julio are about 225 each. Derrick Henry's 245 each. You're going to, you know, have some guys in the training room after combating the Titans' offense, oh, physical their, offensive Paul, line. Think about their depth. The, the only small receiver is Cam Batson. Yeah, and, Everyone, and Kinsey if he makes the team. Josh yeah, Reynolds is going to be the number three. He's 6'3". Yeah. Big guy. Yeah. And six, he three, also 200. has a knack for separating, uh, like him a lot better as the three. He's not fast, right. per, you know, fast per se, but he knows how to use leverage angles and stuff and length to get some separation, NFL-level separation, uh, to, to be effective downfield. He was with the Rams, and why was he good with the Rams? Because he was on a team with some really good wide receivers. And what is he now? He's on a team with some really good wide receivers. The, but, the one thing you have to point out here, though, is if the Falcons weren't in a position to want to trade this guy, the Titans had really butchered this thing. They, they lucked into his availability because they didn't have a plan, Right. They got good fortune and they took advantage of it. But if Julio Jones wasn't on the market, if Atlanta's previous regime didn't butcher the cap, where are the Titans right now? Like, they did the right thing, for sure. They're, they're teetering on missing the playoffs for the first time in a while. And yeah, I, they're hoping Jamison Crowder gets cut, but he's little. I'm trying to balance like out my line of thinking here because there, there's a lot of question marks. And, and I mentioned this last week in my pitch for why this team needed Julio Jones. Making the postseason is not good enough for this franchise Got anymore. Got to go somewhere now. It's time to move forward with the window of opportunity. And, and I, I love the go-for-it move. Now, what's intriguing is Peter King writing this morning that the Titans were the really on, only the real serious contender for Julio Jones. So for all the praise that John Robinson is getting for making a move and dealing a second-round pick and a, what's a fourth-round pick, but it's going to cancel itself out. It's really a second-round pick because you're you're it's likely a and a fifth. you're likely getting though Paul you're likely getting a compensatory pick that year that will be around the same area for free agents that I anticipate will move on or what have you. And so you're getting one next year or multiple. Right. So he's getting praise for making the deal. Peter King writes this morning that the Titans were really the only contender. I, my question would be why are other general managers? so slow to react and so scared of making a move like this for a wide receiver. Lance, can we put the numbers up? He played in nine games last year and put up over 700 yards. Here are his seasons prior to last year and Julio's numbers where the lowest number that he's had was 2019, 1,394 yards. You see the games played on the left, targets and catches. I, I don't know and you can say money's the issue. Money's an issue for the Titans, and Paul's going to detail how they're going to make it work. The Titans are willing to make it work. Other teams were not, and I'm surprised that there was not at least one other suitor for a future Hall of Famer who is going to come in and impact defenses the way Julio Jones did. 
impact bottom line, impact wins and losses. Vegas raised the win total for the Titans by a full game, and Ryan Tannehill's MVP odds went from 40 to 1 to 25 to 1 as soon as this report was out. So that is real impact for a team that needed him, and I don't know why another NFL franchise and other general managers didn't see the same value. Well, I'll just be devil's advocate. I mean, I think it's a great question. Devil's advocate side is a couple things. Most people, unlike the Titans here at wide receiver, unlike the Titans last year at pass rusher when they made the late move with Clowney, yes. have done better jobs addressing their roster holes by now. I, I had this conversation with people at paulkowarski.com in a chat uh, even yesterday when this came out and I did a chat. And they're like, what's next? You know. Like there's a player acquisition season going on now. Player acquisition season, we talk about this all the time, is March for free agency, April for uh, the draft, and then some some and then around training free camp. agency. And then, free, and, yeah. then, and then training camp when people are getting yeah. cut. There's not a market of people available right now. You know, and we'll talk more about tight end, but I asked John Robinson yesterday, like, is it pretty unlikely now that you could, could move a pick for a tight end or for a contract? And he said, yes. You know, they've now dealt picks, right. and they're not taking on a big contract. They can't go get a tight end that's going to cost them a, a decent pick or bring on a decent contract because they just did that. And I, I don't have a problem with that. Like, now not addressing tight end is not nearly as big a deal. They still have a hole there, but it's not nearly as big a deal. But I think teams looking at a $15.3 million cap hit and giving away draft capital – right or wrong for a 32-year-old guy are saying it's just really hard to do at this stage it's after not, we planned everything because we're doing these things in March and April. And who's the team, who's the contending team that has a glaring wide receiver Indy. hole? Indy in yeah. the division. Well, Indy's very, it's not a surprise that Indy is very subdued on moves. Indy is, They traded for DeForest Buckner. It's one of the biggest yeah. trades the last three years. In Interior. Like Hutton saying, they build inside out. That was the one thing they felt like they had to do, and they're gonna re-sign their guys. I don't know how they don't do see a receiver is one outside. thing they got to do. Also, well, let me, I mean, let they, me they, jump on the Colts a, a real quick. Uh, you can make the argument the Colts are feeling the same way the Titans felt in 2019 when they went on the road and lost to Kansas City. The Colts had the game in in Buffalo, very competitive yeah. going into the fourth quarter, and that game got away from them. And you know they're they're sitting there thinking we're close. Now we've added the quarterback. And you have a 32-year-old wide receiver. And I keep mentioning his age because I don't think he's on the, the complete decline of his career. Um, and, and that's what everyone's pointing to is his age. His, his, his numbers speak different to me. I'm going on, on with Dockage after right when we go off the air, so I'll get a real sense of how they're feeling in Indianapolis about but the Chad, past. On the age thing, here's the one devil's advocate side. Yeah, and in it, the last two or three years, he has not practiced much. Great. They need him to to build the relationship with Tannehill. It doesn't need to be as much as Josh Reynolds right. or as much as Des Fitzpatrick, certainly. But he needs to be out there enough to – it's not like you can just take him, no matter how good he is, and just throw him out there on Sunday and say, go. So you certainly hope foot, ankle, uh, hamstring hold up enough for him to, to practice enough to get to the point where – Practicing once a week will be okay if that's what he needs once he's established. They're going to need him out there. And if we get to the point in training camp, which Titans receivers regularly do, where you hear about the soft tissue thing, and then, you know, we don't set a timetable and all of that nonsense. With him, that could be a big deal because you've got to get him 
in the, in the flow of what they're doing. And with a new quarterback, he's had the same quarterback his whole career, right? Yes. And, then, and that's, a, that's a fair counterpoint. Um, Vrabel's very good, for those that don't follow the Titans as closely as we do here in Nashville, Vrabel is very good at the, the making management. sure his veterans manage their time and practice time wisely throughout the season, where guys will sit out a Wednesday or Thursday every single week just because he wants to make sure that they're ready to go on game Especially day. So, as the season extends. Yeah. And he has yeah. very light practices the deeper you get into a 16-game season now, a 17-game season. Uh, many watching on YouTube, we hope you'll hit the subscription button and ring that bell so you're alerted every time we go live when we post content to the Outkick 360 channel on YouTube. As we continue the conversation, Chad, you were going to pick up on other teams not willing to make this deal and pay the money and restructure certain contracts. And not everyone has the, the ability, for instance, Indy, to go to their quarterback and just snap their fingers and have a restructure done to make it fit the cap the way the Titans do. That's a luxury. With, and Paul's going to detail this for us with Tannehill and with Julio Jones. A, his yeah, cap Julio Jones is the easier way to do it. I'll talk through yeah, that. Yeah, but, but and not every team has the same structure, and they're able to absorb the money and the cost it would take, and that was part of this deal too, is the Titans are taking on the full cap hit. It's not done yet. For, they're sorting that out. For what Atlanta was trading. They weren't going to be, for instance, like Miami. Miami paid... Two-thirds. Yeah, five, four or five million of the $7 million salary to Tannehill whenever the Titans dealt for their backup quarterback in 2019. So not the same type of trade there as what we saw here. And maybe other teams were thinking, yeah, we're interested in Julio Jones, not the full hit. And Atlanta could not afford to keep any of that contract money on, on their books. The Titans were willing to take 100% of it. So that's another key cog in all of this. I'm just surprised that we didn't see another team. And there were teams mentioned, Chargers, Rams, uh, 49ers were mentioned briefly, Colts, others. I'm surprised that there was not one true contender other than the Tennessee Titans that stuck through it the entire time. Well, the biggest loser in this trade are the Indianapolis Colts. I, I firmly believe that. that they had a, a definite need at receiver. They should have been involved in this. If you're a Titans fan you would have been nervous if the other team bidding oh, yeah. with you was the Colts because in look at the Vegas odds. It was a coin toss as to who's going to win this division before this move. It's not a coin toss anymore. Titans are the clear winner over the Colts with this move. And I think the Colts are the clear loser. A lot of conversation going on in our YouTube chat right now and, and James F., which I feel like is an attempt to troll us by being a James Franklin. Tanzania, is he talking account? Tanzania? No, Jimmy talking Tanzania, but uh, James F. You're a friend now. Says the Titans are the clear loser with this deal because he's going to get hurt. Julio Jones is going to get hurt. Th this is a, a no-brainer. I mean, if, if someone gets hurt, they're going to be the loser. There's not a long track record of missing tons of games in a season to point to, like with Clowney, to say that Julio Jones is not going to be available and on the field. They said he's going to miss more than nine games. He didn't miss more than nine games a year ago in his worst year from an injury standpoint, and he was still very productive. I could understand if in the time he played a year ago, you saw slippage because of age, because he was still very, very good. One of the five best receivers in the league, win healthy a year ago. So I, I don't – if he gets hurt, you could say that about – someone else is saying, well, if, if Derrick Henry goes down, the Titans are in trouble. And if Ryan Tannehill goes down, the Titans are in, in trouble because of that defense. Of they make teams with their top two players who go down who aren't in trouble. Exactly. These are obvious statements. But you cannot sit here and tell me that with the Titans, draft history especially, 
I know Paul hates when I bring this up, but giving up the picks that they gave up for Julio Jones, a top five all-time receiver, with three years left, isn't a big win for this franchise, isn't a big win for the city. Take away the celebrity status and what it does for marketing and ticket sales and everything else, what it does for this roster and this offense and how difficult it is now for a defensive coordinator to prepare for this Titans personnel, it's huge for the Titans. It's why I would have been willing to give up a first-round pick uh, Paul, I know you tweeted that so many people were desperate and begging to give up first-round pick. I don't see it that way as much of if that report from Rossini was true, which now we know is not, that someone was willing to give up a first, the Titans should be in business. And anyone that wants him to give up a first because he's worth it. But you got to be thrilled that it was this that took it, right? A second round and then the sixth-round pick also. Nobody will call her on that, by the way, and she won't say a word about it. Ticket sales you mentioned, which is interesting. I was talking to somebody at the ballpark this weekend where I saw five kids' games about opening day. Arizona's not a team that's going to travel like a lot of these teams that we see. They're on the schedule who are going to load up the front rows if things hold, and there's no reason to believe that they won't, right? Teams whose fans come and spend a big weekend in Nashville and load up uh, you know, a good share of Nissan Stadium. Arizona won't travel that way. Um, how many people will buy tickets to opening day that wouldn't have come out because they want to see Julio Jones's first game for the Tennessee Titans? And what chance do the Titans have? Not that this is fair to the Titans because the Titans have played good football the last several years and it's been a product worth seeing. But if you come out to see Julio Jones in his first game for the Tennessee Titans, there's a marketing opportunity for the Titans to hook people the right way. Not with these bells and whistles and slogans and signs and, and what's on the scoreboard and the drum line's great or the whatever sucks, but with the football, you know, with this triumvirate of Henry and Brown and Julio Jones. Those, as soon as he picks his number, a lot of people are presuming it'll be eight, those jerseys, uh, that tr foot traffic over at the Titans Pro Shop where we used to do shows on a regular basis is going to be high. They're going to have an extra worker in there. They're the sewing people that are making those uh, customized jerseys and the, and the rack that's full of those, those are going to sell. Paul, you ready to be pissed off again? You know why they're going to sell a lot of tickets? Alabama fans. You, Alabama right. fans who you're love right. Julio Jones in this market. This will is flop. a double whammy. I'll give you a number. I think it's five to ten thousand people per game that Julio Jones could impact ticket sales. I think that's the market for people that are now more eager to buy a ticket where before they just would have it's gladly watched from home. It's a double whammy. They're gonna want to get I think there's five to ten thousand people that'll want to get to at least one game this year to see him. at Nissan Stadium to see Julio Jones, whether that be because of their uh, bandwagon Alabama fandom, which is most of the mid state Alabama fans whether it be because they legitimately believe this is a Super Bowl team with the Titans, or whether they just want to see a really good offense that's going to be tough to stop now with Julio Jones. I think it's going to have a, a big-time impact on ticket sales this year. That's with the Titans fan base, I'm saying. And I'm taking out the opposing team coming in and taking over. 16 of his 51 catches went for 20 yards or more last year in a year where everyone's pointing to where he rate. was hurt. And not just good, that's the best percentage of any wide receiver in the NFL that had 50 or more catches last year. Here's the other thing, talking about the injuries. He's played hurt a lot. So you could say, well, he's hurt a lot. 
Which he has. He had a lot of foot, ankle, yes. and now hamstring stuff. But also, Julio Jones at 80%, 85%, 75% has been very good when he's been on the field. We keep putting up these numbers. His production, you can, you can say all you want about him missing the nine games last year. But like we keep saying, in the games he played, he was very effective. When he plays, he's very effective. And... In some of those games, he's not been 100% Julio Jones. And he may not be 100%. You know, he's not the same guy he was. And if he's got a little bit of an ankle thing, a little bit of a foot thing or whatever, he's proven he can still be a huge pain in the ass for defenders as, as less than his full self, which yeah. is saying something. And what we haven't looked at, look at Calvin Ridley's numbers. Calvin Ridley, for those that play fantasy football, he's a, one of the top receivers that you want in fantasy football for the, the volume of targets and the air yards that he gets. The yards per uh, target for Calvin Ridley are huge. Same goes for Julio Jones and within that Atlanta offense. And what was that Atlanta offense? What does Julio Jones mean just being on the field for A.J. Brown and for Derrick Henry, who will not face as many stacked boxes, we would presume, uh, because of help needed over the top for one or both receivers in any potential play? And then the one-on-one matchups that the Titans will now have, uh, featuring Josh Reynolds as the true number three receiver, which is what he should be within this offense, and some other options to get one-on-one matchups with Darrington Evans or with Anthony Ferkser. You know, I like Ferkser a lot more in a one-on-one matchup than I would matched up against a safety where you're running him into a, a box that's stacked for Derrick Henry uh, on a third down option. I, I, this to me is a huge, huge boost for Todd Downing and his offensive play calling because I, I think it makes the offensive line job a little easier uh, on some, some down distances where they still will turn around and give it to Henry. Uh, and that doesn't necessarily mean it's a target Julio Jones' way. It's just his presence and what he requires. And if you don't give him the attention, he's going to beat you. We, we, we've seen that time and time again with the production that he's put up. Can we all also take a quick moment of silence and be very thankful and grateful I know that we will never have to hear about Nick Westbrook-Akina as the number two receiver for the Titans exactly ever again after this. Not only that, we will never have to hear about him as a number three receiver for the Titans in, unless there's an injury. Now there are going to be two injuries and he's going to be Josh Reynolds, though, again. is the perfect third receiver. Very, very That is a very that. good third receiver for you. And they've got it lined up now. Tight end, the one thing that you didn't replace that's lacking with losing John U. Smith, if you're just looking at addition and subtraction on this offense. But I believe Julio Jones makes up for that, that loss. And you're right, Hutton. It allows role players to play their role. This allows Anthony Ferkser to not have to step out of his element and his comfort zone and provide a role for the Titans. Uh, Darrington Evans, I think, can have his role expanded with what they can do to him, I, I think all in all, it's it's a great move. A lot anything, of people are, anything he brings is expanded, though, based well, on his rookie year, right? So, like, but I get what you're saying. Like, he, there, there's an option now where he was running some at wide receiver, based on what I was reading and tweets uh, during OTAs. Uh, now you can still use him there in certain down and distances, but he's also your third down back, where you can put the ball in his hands in in the play action game. Yeah, they were using him as a wide receiver, not because he's going to be a wide receiver, but to get his route tree going as a running back. 
you know, a, a lot like the Travis Etienne stuff in Jacksonville when Meyer ultimately explained it. He said, we know he can play running back. We're getting the wide receiver up to snuff because our intention is to use him universally. Uh, you know, I don't think Evans will be used universally as much, um, but but that's that's what they're doing. They want Evans to be super well-rounded, and, uh, and he'll be a great offering, and certainly things open up for he and Ferks or – because they're going to be the fourth, fifth option most of the time when they're on the field amongst the eligibles. Coming up, we will get into some more topics as we go a layer or two deeper with Julio Jones to the Titans. Uh, offensive play sets, we get into how defenses try to defend this offense now just on paper. And we'll discuss Arthur Smith's angle in all of this. Plus, we chat about the, the deal going down. You know, Robinson staying at the table, at the poker table as they negotiate through this, and uh, Peter King and Albert Breer had details on all of that in their columns over the weekend. That's all coming up straight ahead on Outkick 360. First, though, MyDrHank.com. MyDrHank.com. Erectile dysfunction affects over half of all men. It does not have to make you half of a man. Since 2017, My Dr. Hank has been making America hard again, and My Dr. Hank helps you get low-cost ED meds to overcome the psychological and emotional barriers to getting ED treatment. They secure your prescription. They then ship it to you discreetly every month from U.S. pharmacies for as low as $2 a pill. So don't wait. Check out mydrhank.com slash outkick. Mydrhank.com slash outkick. Paul, look at that offer. 50% off. It's better than the deal that Hutton gets on his cricket shirts, which is <laughs> really saying something. Uh, when you're trying something new, you always like to do so at a nice big discount. That's about as good as you're going to find. What is it I say all the time, Hutton, when we have an offer that's too good to pass up? What's the question? Why, I haven't, you done you this Why haven't you done it? I'll ask the same about Dr. Hank with that 50% off offer. MyDrHank.com slash Outkick. Back in two minutes. Outkick 360 rolls on. Outkick 360 continues across the Outkick network alongside Chad Withrow and Paul Koharski. I'm Jonathan Hutton. You can email your primary complaints in, 360 at outkick.com. That's coming up on Wednesday. Guys, a lot to discuss today as we react to Julio Jones being traded to the Tennessee Titans. Uh, a big portion of this trade, the finance and how they make it work within the structure of Atlanta's salary cap, which is exactly why they had to trade him. They couldn't even sign their own draft class because of how strapped they were for cash underneath the, the reduced cap. Titans don't have a lot of room either. So, Paul, you wrote at paulkoharski.com about how they can make this work. And not only could they make it work through Tannehill's restructuring, they could make it work through Julio Jones restructuring. Yeah, so Spotrack now putting this contract on the books for the Titans has them nine million plus in the hole so they've got to find that money now uh, to me the easiest thing to do here is to deal with jones's contract jones comes in with three years this 15.3 million dollar base this year is what they're dealing with they have to make room for that they can't fit nine million plus of it if they took this salary right a guy with his experience seven years plus the minimum is 1.05 million. So you could convert all of it to bonus except 1.05 million. That leaves you with 14.47 million. And you could divide that by three, 
and put that a, thir a piece of it this year, a piece of it in 2022, and a piece of it in 2023. So um, that plus the 1.05 million this year, the minimum base plus one third of what you convert to bonus this year would get him down to 5.873 million this year. So, so that's a big piece of the whole deal. They need to find $9 million. They will have found $9 million there. Now, they'd still probably need to create some room for their regular function, right? They want contingency money. They want to be able to bring in somebody if somebody gets hurt, all of that. But that would take care of it. And then you're pushing, um, you know, some money for Julio Jones on your accounting into 2022 and 2023. He's only got $2 million guaranteed beyond this year, and that's on the 2022 salary. So two things that just popped to mind here. It's That, that sounds almost too easy. It, it, is this because the Titans can do this, or any team could have done this trading for him? Any team could do this trading for him. Um, yeah, it's not a big deal. So his his number, his hmm. scheduled base, his his scheduled cap numbers in 2022 and 2023 will go from 11.5 million to 16.3 million. So. But those years aren't guaranteed. That's right. So if you wind up, if he winds up, say a one-year player, you would have pushed, you know, five plus million dollars into your cap on those two years of dead money. Now next year, I've I talked to one cap person, you know, who said the thing about next year and a team's reluctance to maybe do Tannehill, which we'll talk about next is that the league put out, or the league and the PA together put out, that next year the ceiling is what, 208? Yes, it, yes. Well, the ceiling isn't helpful. The floor is what you need to know, right? That's what you're scared of is the floor. You know, if it only goes up a little bit and you're pushing money into next year, that handcuffs you. Or, or so give them a range or give them a floor. Ceiling doesn't really help. Unless you're willing ceiling to spend the, the ceiling. Player, yeah. Well, the ceiling gets the players excited and everything. But if that's the ceiling and you come back with a floor that's well under the ceiling, what, what good did knowing the ceiling help me? But at least you, a, a team, you're saying the team that knows next year's cap is going up by, it was like 17%, something like that, from, last, from this year, this structure to yeah, next what year. What was this, 191 or 193? Yeah, something like that. It, it, it dropped significantly. Right. And it affected, but it could be back around that again. But if you're willing to, if the ceiling, if you're willing to spin to the ceiling, then it makes sense to go ahead and prorate this or push it, kick the can down but the road a little bit. they're saying that could be the ceiling. They're saying well, that could be the it's ceiling. It's the agreement between the league and the Players Association that that's right. what it will be. No, I don't, I don't, I, we could check more on that. My understanding is that I, I'm, I'm not saying they're saying, tell me what the floor is so that I could only spend the floor. They're saying that the, C, the, the potential highest the cap could be is that. Not that that's what the cap is going to be minimally. This person was saying, I need to know that's where the ceiling how low be. the cap is. Yeah, you're right. So, okay. So at, you know the, at the owners' meetings uh, last month, it was reported that the NFL and the NFL Players Association agreed to a little over two hundred eight million being the ceiling for the twenty twenty two cap. Okay, that's the I, way I it misunderstood reported. it, and I, I thought they were saying it could be as high as two hundred eight, but we don't know what it could be as low as. Um, 
what we know what we do know is it's going up and, and this just go back to my point of uh, I'm kind of, I'm really surprised not kind of really surprised that there's not another general manager that that didn't just dip the toe in the water, but jumped in the way Robinson did. So let's do the Tannehill deal. Now, say yes. say you have a little bit of concern that maybe this is one year. And this is, a chip, this is a chip for the Titans' favor that they other teams do not necessarily have, where you just go to your quarterback and restructure immediately and, and it handles all of your problems. Yeah, well, I think the worry, too, is Atlanta in a year could be in the exact same position with Matt Ryan that they're in with Julio Jones right now. His cap number is over $40 million next yeah. year, which is enormous for Aaron Rodgers or Patrick Mahomes. If Matt Ryan shows slippage, uh, you know, they're, they're majorly handcuffed. With well, and what has Arthur Hill. Smith called it? It's not a it's not a rebuild. It's a restructure that they're going through right now. It's an awkward spot. Is it's what it is. It's a very awkward spot because you got a quarterback who you should be in win now mode with, and you are trading away one of your best assets because of salary cap issues. But you're also trading away a spot where they're good. Yeah. I mean, with now with Kyle Pitts coming in with Ridley, they're good on offense at receiving Jared's options. A good player too. So but it see, makes that, a little sense from that yeah, respect. And they did, on a much bigger scale, what people are asking the Titans to do now on a smaller scale. Yes, the Titans are yes. just at the beginning of this. But they went to the Super Bowl, they blew a game where they had a big lead, and they said, we are there and we need to stay there. And they pushed cap money back and they pushed cap money back and they pushed cap money back. It results in the fact that they have to get rid of Julio Jones. And that maybe next year they're completely screwed with their quarterback having a cap number that's over $40 million of a 208 cap. That's a problem, right? So that's where the Titans' reluctance comes in. They might do it here once, but they're not going to do it a bunch because uh, at least until you're assured that the cap raise is, is coming. But along with the cap raise coming is A.J. Brown's new contract coming. And Jeffrey Simmons' new contract coming, right? And, and that's going to take some of this money. If you restructure Tannehill, you convert most, uh, all but that 1.05 of his $24.5 million base salary into signing bonus. And that saves the team 15.6 this year. All right. Now, they don't need all 15.3. They need nine mm. to, to, to cover it. So that gives them the nine, and then they have almost six you know, remaining wiggle room, that would be ideal, right? That adds $7.8 million to the cap for Tannehill in 2022 and 2023. Sounds functional, right? You do it, it once. It, it, next year, you're not wild about $7.8 million additional dollars, plus Julio Jones is 11 point something that you weren't anticipating so you got a lot more exp expensive and it could be the first year of AJ Brown's new deal first year generally not monstrous cap wise because you've got a big signing bonus that that uh, takes the bulk of it and the first year guarantee isn't cap wise very big but those things start to to push out into the future 2023 the cap should be much bigger um, so Robinson wasn't saying much except that those conversations are internal. It's going to be one of those two things, conceivably. I don't know why you'd want to do Luan ahead of Tannehill. Tannehill's more stable. Luan missed four games two years ago. Luan missed the season last year. You sure as hell hope Luan is, you know, a stable, solid left tackle for you. But if you're saying who's more certain over the next three seasons, 
I think unquestionably, uh, yep. you know, in a, in a A or B, you say Tannehill. I agree. Hit us up on Twitter, at Outkick360. You can also join us on the YouTube chat and just search out Outkick360 channel on YouTube. We hope you'll subscribe while you're there. If you're watching on the YouTube feed uh, or if you're watching on uh, Twitter, you can go to our Twitter feed to find the YouTube link. We hope you'll subscribe there. Uh, and hit the alert button anytime we go live or post exclusive content. It goes to our YouTube channel first, Outkick 360 across the Outkick network. Tannehill has been elite over the last two seasons. He's third in quarterback rating. He is third in passing touchdowns in the league. And he leads the league in yards per attempt. And I'm not here trying to have the discussion of is Tannehill elite, like, like most the Joe stations Flacco will, yeah, most, most radio stations across the country would say, is, is Joe Flacco elite? That's not the debate I'm here to, to, to have. I, I'm talking style of offense, and he fits this style of offense perfectly. He's the most uh, efficient quarterback in the league on play action. Julio Jones comes from an offense that doesn't rely on the play action all that much, but they push the ball down the field. They're drop back uh, offense. Yes, and... and He's now entering a, an offense that has a legitimate run game, that has a much better offensive line. And in, in thinking about how they can deploy A.J. Brown and Julio Jones, and Julio's very good on the double move, Todd Downing is sitting here thinking he's just inherited an offense that he has a lot of expectation to live up to with Arthur Smith now in Atlanta. But now the play call and the layers that he can add to this, because it wasn't going to be, even without Julio Jones, the exact offensive system that we saw Arthur Smith run. Because I think the, the, the smart fans would want this offense to evolve some, because you give a, de a defensive coordinator and defensive assistants across the country and across the league an opportunity to evaluate your system and make adjustments to that going year to year. No different than a rookie quarterback getting film on him and knowing how to defend him a year later. That being said, Downing was going to add his own wrinkles to this offense. And without Corey Davis and without Jonu Smith, we all had questions about that, about, about how they dropped from that production, especially the production early in the season that got them off to that unbeaten start, and how they duplicate what they did last year offensively for a defense that should be improved, but there's no guarantee based on what we saw a year ago. My overall thought, though, is with Julio Jones now entrenched within the offense from week one. Downing now gets to sit and, and dictate how this offensive rhythm, how the pace of play is, how, how everything goes. And I still think the offense goes through Henry, but imagine the, the options that they now have, Paul, with Julio on one side, A.J. on the other, potentially A.J. on one side, Julio on the slot. They can move them around and mix and match and dictate matchups defensively. They also don't have a designated slot receiver. They're coming off the Adam yeah. Humphreys experiment, and I have no qualms about them having signed Adam Humphreys because they had maybe the, amongst the worst slot production in the league before they signed him. It didn't work out because he got hurt a lot. Uh, he has concussion issues, and we all hope the best for him. He's in Washington now. Um, but I fear that he'll, he'll suffer another concussion and, and be at the end. Now, uh, and uh, you mentioned before, the only little guys they have are Batson and Kinsey, who's unlikely to make the team. I think that Ryan Tannehill simply likes big wide receivers. I've talked about this with Blake Bettingfield, the former scout who writes at my site. They, they have all big guys. If you look out there at OTAs, all of the fringe guys all look the same. 
They're all, you know, Chester Rogers and these other guys, they're all over six feet tall and over 200 pounds or right, right around there, you know, uh, in the 190s. He likes that type of receiver. There's nothing wrong with that. He likes big targets. And obviously his top two guys now are big targets. Josh Reynolds is, yeah, is, is, a, is a big guy. So, but I think A.J. Brown's played in the slot. Julio Jones has played in the slot. Josh Reynolds has played in the slot. I don't think they're necessarily lining up the, in a three set that's the same all the time. I think they're moving these guys around. Robinson said yesterday they always love the positional versatility. And this is a matchup often. Game by game, week by week, depending on what they see from the cornerbacks and how another team lines up and who the nickel is and who the outside corners are. And they've got a lot of evidence. I mean, Julio Jones has been around long enough that he's played against a lot of these corners, some of whom have changed conference. And A.J. Brown certainly has, uh, you know, against the AFC corners, the matchups. I think we're going to see these guys move around a lot and chess match stuff yeah. from downing. In the game planning during the week and in the adjustments during the game. This isn't going to be the case against every defense, but let's talk about um, options for a second. When the Titans lost Dean Pease and went to whatever that setup was a year ago, a defensive coordinator, it wasn't just that they lost Dean Pease. Dean Pease was an expert at making the right decision when there's only one right decision. It may be blitzing. Logan Ryan on a play. It, it may be a certain coverage on another play. But he would many times get that right. The beauty of Todd Downing taking over for the first time as an NFL offensive coordinator for Arthur Smith he had and why year, this may not be. Yeah, but I'm saying for, well, yeah. But the, why this is not going to be as bad of a transition is with this personnel, I do think there are multiple right decisions on every play. It doesn't have to be, I have to make the perfect call with this personnel to get a positive play against this defense. Again, some defenses that will be the case because they're going to be that good. But most of the time, this is an offense now with this, these options where you can luck your way. Not really luck. You can personnel your way into a great play. Julio Jones is going to go up and get it over somebody on a bad decision, on a bad play call by the offensive coordinator. A.J. Brown's going to make someone look foolish on a bad play call. Derrick Henry's going to run over someone on a bad play call. No one had that luxury on defense a year ago, taking over for Dean Pease. It had to be the perfect call because the personnel wasn't good enough to make up for a bad defensive coordinator call. So I think where this could be different from a personnel standpoint is Todd Downing on every play, every decision, he's got multiple correct decisions to make. It's not just get the one decision right, and expose the defense because that is the one play call that had to be that had to be called. I think every play opens up a bunch of possibilities, not just for what they can decide to do, but what could be successful based on what the offensive coordinator calls. I, I, I like that. And here's the thing, and we talked about this last week more in our Tennessee hour. If you're not as familiar with the Titans, Shane Bowen is now officially the defensive coordinator. He has uh, the power. He said last week he's the final voice. You know, that's to be determined because Mike Vrabel's a very strong head coach. He's obviously on the defensive side of the ball. Last year he was hung out to dry a bit because he wasn't officially the defensive coordinator, but he had the defensive coordinator responsibilities per se. But the personnel was a mess. The Titans were, were just didn't have the personnel on defense. They've 
they think they fixed the personnel, whether you buy that or not. They've got six new guys in their top 12 on defense. So they have not as much as Chad saying on offense, but there should be some freedom to not have to make the exact right call because you've got better players in Bud Dupree, Danico Autry, uh, Janoris Jenkins, Caleb Farley on the defensive side. On the offensive side, I agree exactly with what you're saying, Chad. The Titans on defense believe they've fixed the personnel. I don't know if we're all buying it, but it's better. It should be better. Yes. On offense, the one major personnel thing's now been addressed with a Hall of Fame guy. Personnel should be pretty good, better enough. And now the spotlight does shift to Shane Bowen on defense and to Todd Downing on offense. Coordinators, we, the, the, the Robinson and, and Vrabel can say, we've got what we need. Now let's make it work. Well, and now the attention also shifts to the Titans. Not, and it, you're right, in, internally and, and the, the, the fan base, it shifts to the... fan base certainly feels good about the offense. Yeah, yes, the fan base yes. has a lot of doubt about the defense because the team lost their faith, fairly so, last year. But they don't believe in... in if you're the, let's just fiction. use the Colts. This, we, we use the division as the example, and that would be the case for any team across the, the, the NFL. If you're the Colts, how do you match up against this offense? You're strong in the interior defensive line. They're very good on the line. Uh, but they lose Autry. They've drafted, so they have a rookie playing on the uh, up front with Quiddy Pay. They have DeForest Buckner. Again, they're still good on the defensive line. Especially at the middle. In the secondary, you have Xavier Rhodes, who they've brought back, and Rocky Sin, who was booed out of the building whenever the Titans played there last year. How are you matching up against A.J. Brown and Julio Jones? And, and also adding in Josh Reynolds to the slot and, and defending the passing game that the Titans can bring well, on top of the run threat that the Colts generally do a decent job with against Henry. The first thing I'm thinking is they're trying to keep their offense on the field. Right? Yeah. They are first and foremost well, can I, trying to run Jonathan Taylor. Let's go counterpoint. The Titans were among the worst teams in the league in time of possession a year ago. Like... They, they strike, they strike fast, and they were efficient. They were clutch. Time of possession is not on their side generally. Right. Well, they, it's a combination of when they score, they do it pretty effectively. Yeah, when they and have they the And they also they get score. into some three and out rucks yeah. where they're ineffective. They're not the old Titans of Jeff Fisher with 19 play, 9 yeah, but they, they didn't so uh, much. They, they did not have, among the all offenses across the league, they didn't have... They, they were lower tier on the three and outs. I think it was 17% or 19% yeah, of, their, like of their possessions went three and out. I mean, it was good. Yeah. I mean, when they got the football, they, they generally went and scored. I think they, you know, they averaged a point per possession or not two points per possession. But don't you year. think if you're the Colts, you, your first thing is uh, uh, they the, want to play Titans-like football and run Jonathan Taylor and oh, control yeah. the clock? Yeah. But defense, I, I just don't it, – it, I would be asking the same question for this Titans secondary last year on how you match up against this offense. Um, how you go down – Atlanta was a good example. How do you match up against their offensive firepower with uh, w what they possess at wide receiver or did with Julio in the mix? Yeah. Because you had Gage as your third wideout option, and now Reynolds is that type of player. I was not in love with the Col the Titans before this move. I, I picked them to go to the Super Bowl last year, so it would be hard for me to do it again. Sure. I, I like Buffalo a lot. But I will say, I, I was surprised at the love for the Colts from Vegas and, and from the national media, generally speaking. I think there's too big of a buy-in on Wentz. 
I think people automatically just picture Reich and Wentz back together and think, boom, it's going to be magic. Like you're saying, Chad, they're not as good at wide receiver. Hilton's always hurt now. I like Pittman a lot. And Pittman, I think, made a couple good catches in one of the games against the Titans last year and looks, looks promising. Jack Doyle will be healthier and, uh, and better. And that, that's a good football team with a lot of good players. It's not particularly flashy. But I'm not buying that Wentz is going to be a savior. And I think Vegas and fans were really thinking that, uh, like you think about the Titans, they're probably going to sweep Houston and Jacksonville. Yeah. And then I think people were just picturing head-to-head that the Colts were going to outdo the Titans and giving them the division based on that. I think people aren't thinking that anymore they sh- and shouldn't be. I don't know that they should have been thinking it before. This, this fits the, the tone and the fabric of their offense, the, the move to go get Julio Jones. And, and Paul pointed out the size of the wide receivers. I think generally speaking, if you're a coordinator and you're running a play-action-based passing game, you want bigger body receivers because a lot of the, the, the passes that are thrown their way are contested catches, are in, in traffic where big body receivers can box out and go get the football. And the Titans throw a ton in the middle of the field. Yeah, and, and Tannehill's been very accurate with this. But if you, if you look at a, a lot of the, the close contact combat catches, as, as Coach Max, Dave McGinnis likes to say, the combat catches, that is, that's this offense. And that's why A.J. Brown is so valuable because he, he has no regard for his, his own safety going across the middle and snagging a football and having the peripheral vision to turn it upfield. That's, that's where he's at his best. Julio Jones does the same exact thing. And that mentality uh, and that, that extra effort um, and, and the size fits this offense and the, the value there should be great. It, go, it still goes back to Henry. And the impact it can mean for him in the backfield, where he was good against nine-man boxes at times. I mean, Baltimore tried to stack the box against him, um, and we've seen other uh, Jacksonville sometimes go light in the box, and he makes them pay. I'm, I'm eager to see how teams try to adjust to the run game with the extra man in the box against Henry and this offensive line, because they've tried a number of different things defensively over the years to try to corral him and not let him take over which he's been able to do. And that's what's different about this offense from every other offense in the league that Julio Jones now joins. It's, it's built with the horsepower in the backfield and firepower on the outside. Yeah, it, regardless of what Julio Jones does to this roster, what he is at 32 years old, what he's going to do in the off, all of that. Yeah. The difference in the offense is still what is different about the offense as opposed to the rest of the NFL. Derrick Henry, he's different. He is a different running back than the rest of the league. No one like him. And that's the big difference with this offense and what separates them. The Titans make the move, biggest move of the offseason across the league, trading for Julio Jones and the impact and the momentum shift of the NFL happened yesterday uh, and the ripple effect of not just with the Titans team but teams on their schedule and how it affects the playoffs with the extra game, 17 regular season games on the slate we, we dive further into this coming up in the Tennessee Power Hour. We hope you'll subscribe on the YouTube channel. If you're watching there live, Outkick 360. Hey, and tonight, 7.30 Central, uh, Outkick VIP event. I'll be on Zoom uh, there to chat with one and all. So I hope you'll come by and uh, we'll let our hair down. <laughs> Outkick.com slash VIP is where you can sign up. 
Uh, and we can tweet out a link to that as well. Just follow us on Twitter at Outkick360. Hang with us. More coming in just a moment. Outkick 360 across the Outkick Network. It is the Tennessee Power Hour alongside Chad Withrow and Paul Kuharski. I'm Jonathan Hutton. Lance Lee making the show happen for us today along with David Reed, who is the chairman of the board. Jakob Swanson with a well-deserved day off. The Basalt Bandit will be back with us later this week. Uh, Regan McCrossan, Jake Popoff making the show happen from a production assistant standpoint. We appreciate them. Shout out Sarah Triplett as well, who joined us for the first hour. Guys, first hour jam-packed with the NFL news of the day. Julio Jones is a Tennessee Titan. And I'm curious to get perspective from you on the, the Arthur Smith connections to all of this. Julio Jones has Jimmy Sexton as his agent. Arthur Smith has Julio Jones as his agent. And Jimmy, I Jimmy Sexton, you mean? Yes. You, Ar said Julio you, had, you said Julio Jones was his agent. You meant Julio Jimmy Jones has Jimmy Sexton as his agent. Jimmy Sexton is also the agent for Arthur Smith. Go. And I can't help but think that Arthur Smith would not have asked about this and known about this through his agent prior to taking the Atlanta Falcons job because he had plenty of offers um, with other jobs and inquiries. I mean, he interviewed for practically every opening. I'm, I'm thinking Arthur has known about this. There's a lot of people that are putting the win winners and losers of this trade, and they have Arthur Smith as a loser in this trade. And quite, I mean, they're not wrong in putting and listing him there, but the connections here are, to me, pretty easy to make sense with well, how you know who's me, available and when. I know that Arthur knew that the salary cap was a mess in Atlanta when sure. he took the job. I mean, that's doing your homework and having conversations. Let me take it a and, step and Atlanta management certainly told him, listen, we're going to have to do some things to get the roster right here financially. Let me take it a step further. John Robinson, West Tennessee guy. Jimmy Sexton, West Tennessee guy. Arthur Smith and all the connections with the Titans. Is there a reason the Titans didn't go until they did to take a receiver? Because they knew the whole time this was happening. They had a deep understanding that they were going to be the top contender based on relationship with Arthur Smith and Jimmy Sexton. You still Sexton. can't know you're getting him. You don't know. You can't you don't guarantee know what somebody else is Terry doing. Terry Fontenot is going to trade to the best offer. You, what, you, what you don't know, you don't know. is it's what other teams are going to offer. It's a roll of yeah. dice. Other team could swoop in at any moment. It only takes one. We talk about that all the time. With but all if you know you're things. willing to offer a first... And that the tie would go to the Titans? If you say we're not going to lose them no matter what? <laughs> I mean, there's no way to know 100%. I'm saying if yeah. you're pretty certain, we're willing to go to a first if that's what it takes. And we know that if it's a similar, if it's a first, that's the best they're going to get, then we're going to get them. We're going to be the ones they want to deal with because of our relationship with Arthur Smith. Does that make you more inclined to pass on some receivers early on and then go get Des Fitzpatrick? I think conceivable, but not likely. I, I still don't buy it. I think you would have done better getting yourself insurance. I'm giving John still. Robinson a ton of credit you are, here you are. by saying that. I'm and saying look, this is an ultimate 3D chess move and not a checkers move if that's the case. And look, I think they just screwed up by taking a linebacker in Monty Rice when they did and that's why they ended too. up where they were. But maybe he did know something. Who but knows? But think about his four big veteran deals. He dumped Doriel Green Beckham who they would have cut at that point. They got Dennis Kelly, who was a very significant piece of the offensive yes. line group for a good while. He got DeMarco Murray for a pick swap. 
who was a foundational guy of the culture change right out of the gate, gave them one great year, one okay year, but was really a tide-turning guy. Ryan Tannehill, absolute steal when getting a quarterback is the single biggest thing you have to do as a general manager. And now this. I mean, if we could say there's one thing that John Robinson is absolutely good at, it's trading for a veteran player. Um, so he definitely has, uh, has established his uh, abilities with that. Just to pick up on what you're saying, Chad, I had one guy on, on uh, Facebook who was just insistent that John Robinson let the Titans let Arthur Smith leave with this oh. being contingent pretty much on this. First of all, the Titans don't have to let anybody leave for a head coaching job. Arthur Smith could have gone and taken any head coaching job he wanted in the NFL. There's not a permission thing there. There are professional courtesies (laughs) about communication. What a conspiracy theory. This idea that Arthur, you can go take the head coaching job in Atlanta if you trade us. uh, (laughs) Terry Fontenot is ultimately, I'm sure, has the power to do the trading. Arthur Blank is signing off on the trading. I mean, you're going way, way too deep there. This is not the grassy knoll. This also, he, this also is a deal that Fontenot approved yesterday morning. Like it, it, This came together Saturday and Sunday. Right. They've been weekend. talking for two to three weeks. It heated up Saturday. It got finished Sunday. How they much consummated? Did, they consummated the relationship. How Sunday. much did? And, and it sounds like uh, they went to Asheville. Yeah, no, 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 no more flirting. <laughs> it's time to go ahead and uh, get in bed together on Sunday. I think Julio may have assisted in all of this um, from, from this angle. Um, he he was the efficient. <laughs> um, <laughs> we are gathered here today. Um, so Albert Breer reports and makes it uh, official that Julio Jones did not know that he was live on the air with Shannon Sharp and Skip Bayless on Undisputed. Now, in listening to it, it's pretty apparent that it's it's easy to assume that he didn't know. That Shannon Sharp's phone call, you pick up the phone, you answer it, nah, I'm out of there. By saying that, how much leverage did the Falcons lose when he went on national TV and, and said he's not coming back to Atlanta well, under any circumstance? It didn't help them. but. Uh, honestly, I mean, if you just read up on the cap stuff, and you've repeatedly said they couldn't sign their draft class, I mean, there was nothing for them to do other other than, than restructure him. Well, which any team apparently can do. Yeah, but that would have got them down to, to five and pushed money ahead. And I'm talking yeah. about how no, bad they are next year. Yeah, so, they don't I mean, want to keep, they, they keep the restructuring. They they got to stop restructuring. You, yeah, you kick the can down the road, and Demetrius not there because of some of this uh, salary cap. Did. You know, maneuvering. That's right. Which you know, uh, and to Dimitrov, I, I, you know, I'm not. Dimitrov went for it, which is what you want a guy to do after they yep. lose the Super Bowl and they when were they it. had it won. Yeah. You know, They're up twenty-eight to three. Let's go back to Albert Breer's story. Yes. That, that he did not know. He didn't. I think it was pretty clear he didn't know. I, I mean, see, but I, I like the confirmation. Yeah, I mean, it was definitely not an interview-like answer. When he says, no, I'm out of, you know, it wasn't like he's on there. also don't do interviews on, the, uh, no, on, on a speaker. TV show yeah. on somebody's speaker on their but cell it's, phone. It's a weird story because why I want to crush Shannon Sharp for doing that, putting a friend on the phone, not knowing they're on air, might not be and asking them a news question. It helped. But it helped Julio Jones. Sure did. So it doesn't seem like he's mad about it. It's almost like Shannon Sharp. No, he got Sharp, what he wanted. I don't know that Shannon Sharp was trying to help his buddy. He was trying to get a story live on air. But in turn, it helped a buddy. And it's great content for their show. I think I'll ask him that so question when he talks. Is that weird. a good question? Yeah. Are you mad at Shannon for putting that That's call a great, in here? I think it's a great question. Well, I, I don't think he is. Let's go. Uh, 
If he was mad, it would make Shannon Sharp look terrible. Let's go inside baseball done here, that, right? But if he's not, then it's not a big deal. Well, because it, normally, if you if you call on a show like that or any show across the country, if you're on hold or if you're on the phone, the way that phone call is routed in, you can hear all the hosts at the same time, right? Like while you're waiting. I'm so, like, yeah. Shannon Sharp calls him up, puts him on speaker. You have the two other hosts there being uh, quiet. Well, no, they chime in and they say, by the way, we should tell you you're live on the air. He's not necessarily going to hear that, the way everyone tuned into yeah. the show heard that. The because way speakerphone background my, noise. Yeah, so, so I understand the confusion with people that say, oh, Julio Jones was told he was on the air. Well, he was, but he didn't necessarily hear it, and it wasn't because you're Shannon holding the Sharp. phone next to Shannon Sharp who didn't point. say that. Yeah. So there's a little inside baseball to the behind-the-scenes aspect of how that may not have made its way to Julio the way it did to everyone watching the segment. Also, uh, we should say this. Julio Jones may well have told the Falcons weeks before I'm out of here. So the fact that we, here's where we get caught up in it, right? Mm -hmm. We want to be players and we want to know the story. But that story may well have been known by the people it was important to. Right. I think we all got the curtain pulled back for us. Well, but he may have told the Falcons and he's the one that said he wanted to be traded. The story goes, right? Yeah. They had the cap problem. It was probably both sides. But he clearly at some point told them he wanted to be traded. So I'm out of there. May have been well known to Atlanta. Just the fact well, that he took it public and the pressure came on has changed the dynamic. And there, there is no doubt that Atlanta, they, they, they weren't holding their cards too closely to the vest whenever you have your, your team website immediately writing a story about what Julio Jones said on Undisputed. Like, right. And Jeff Schultz wrote it. The, the Falcons had the video montage prepared for Twitter as soon as he was traded yesterday morning yeah. on a random Sunday. Yeah. I mean, They've had that they in knew, the can for a while. They knew this was going to happen. I mean, clearly he knew. I mean, it's, it's, it's funny now, but yeah. it's, to me it's just an interesting uh, media discussion. Can you guys get a video montage together of my departure just to have... <laughs> Can I can I get the camera on me one more time, please? Just since we're talking about Jimmy Sexton and doing moves and relationships and all that, if Jimmy Sexton can pull this off, if in fact we're going to go with the conspiracy theory that Jimmy Sexton, some way with Arthur Smith and Julio Jones, and his tie to the Titans or his tie to the state, could pull off something like that for the Titans, may I ask you, Jimmy Sexton, would you please one time pull off a good move for your alma mater, <laughs> University of Tennessee, instead of continuing to bend them over a barrel and screw them? <laughs> Please, help your alma mater and land them a big-time coach. And don't hold out for more money or continually screw over your alma mater with your clients like Lane Kiffin and others. Please, just one time do that. In your lifetime, you have this much power. I'm addressing you directly as a fellow University of Tennessee alum. Please and thank you. Paul, let's get into tight end. And now the missing piece that we have discussed all offseason of, of the depth, and they lose Jonu Smith. They have Anthony Ferkser, but is is Ferkser ready to take on that type of role? You asked Robinson this yesterday in the presser with his media availability after the trade, after acquiring Julio Jones for a second-round pick and a fourth-round pick. Um, if, the, if they have the capabilities of using the same type of draft capital to then go out and get a tight end, he told you that's likely... Yeah. Not likely. So he was asked a general tight end question, and he gave the, you know, we're monitoring guys who are out there, but we like the young people that we have, and we like the growth. Very kind of standard stuff. It took me a while to get back into to follow up, but I said, you know, 
are you in position now after doing this to give up draft capital or and or to take on a contract? And he pretty much said that that would be very difficult at, at, mm -hmm. the, at this stage. So the idea that they're going to trade a third or a fourth round pick for a tight end who's under a veteran contract that includes some kind of substantial money, I think you got to toss out the window now. Can uh, they, so in your restructuring, and we went through the, the, the math equation on math line here on Outkick 360 for, uh, for Julio restructure and the savings there, and then what Tannehill could do too. Could you restructure both and save even more? And to, to be able to go sign a one-year veteran minimum type deal for a tight end who's out there? Well, you could, but then you're talking about pushing 12 into next yeah. year. And I, I'm I, throwing out scenarios I, for that we're going to hear. As conservative as they have been I know. about yeah, doing it, I think they were reluctant to do it this year for this guy. That, that's exactly why I asked that question. I think there's mm -hmm. no way they're kicking 12 into so, next year in order to add a tight so end on more top of asking Julio. that they have their group. I think it's likely that they have their group. I think, uh, you know, or, you know, somebody that they liked in a recent draft gets cut somewhere and they bring him in and he's a minimum guy who gets, you know, 50 or 100 grand signing bonus or something yeah. like that. That kind of guy. And that brings up a very interesting point about who's shown up and who hasn't for OTAs. Jared Pinckney is nowhere to be found. And I know that they don't know where, I mean, he hasn't checked in and said, I'm doing X as opposed to being there. They have the same curiosity about him as I do, as we do. And that's a dumb move when there are some undrafteds and some, some guys who were undrafted in recent years in the mix there. So I don't know what he's doing, but I would say his chances are and way know, down. And we should mention, this is just an easy segue here, Kevin Johnson also not there. Oh. He has retired. He's on the reserve list, retired list, after a week of veteran, mini, or veteran OTA. Which he was not at. Right, uh, He right. wasn't at the two where I took attendance. I will say this. There may be circumstances that I don't know about. And this is where the Titans suffer for not sharing details. But I immediately went there, and I got bashed for it, but I saw other people went there as well. This guy signed three months ago. They saw fit to give him a million dollars guaranteed. Now, they get it back, so no harm, no foul, I suppose. But how is this not yet another example of them not knowing about a guy not loving ball? Now, maybe he loves ball and he retired. He's got some concussion history or whatever. His concussion history was the same three months ago. Like, uh, you know, outside of some family crisis or whatever, and I allow for the possibility that any of this stuff could have happened, all right? I'm saying that up front. Something could have happened in the last three months that changed his life. But I, I'm not allowed to know that. So not knowing that, I put another check mark in. They just signed another guy. Well, he did the presser. He did the media availability after he signed. Yeah. So they just signed another guy who in very short order decided, no, I don't want to play. Uh, it, this is a true gift to the Tennessee Titans, is what this is. Yeah, he's not he a good player. He was terrible. Player. And I, I've said that from the moment they signed him when we started the show. Yeah. He's a hor uh, just a horrible wrong? option Though for they, the starting slot where people had him listed prior to I mean, the NFL draft. Now he would have been fifth or sixth at best. But they clearly liked him enough to give him a million dollars guaranteed. Yeah. And he doesn't want to play. So what are they? this is another guy. Their one thing that they should have the best antenna for in the world is love ball, considering it's the number one thing that they're about, is love ball. And to me, am I being unreasonable? This is another no. miss on love ball. Well, the, 
a miss that they won't won't regret. Yes, exactly. and it doesn't cost them a penny. And they're they're not going to be bashed for because of the the type of player that they're losing, which is uh, they're not losing a ton of on field uh, abilities. Yeah, we we'll just as soon see Breon Borders, but still. Yeah. Okay. Coming up. Speaking of uh, loving ball, the the Predators tried to attempt to act like they love football. With a tweet so, on the weekend that uh, has since been deleted. Yeah, the biggest story, not just in Nashville, <laughs> but nationally yesterday, was Julio Jones and the Titans trading for him. The Nashville Predators tried to attach themselves to that story by turning the story into something about them that will explain they have since deleted this tweet, and now they are in a pissing match with us on Twitter, tweeting us back about why they deleted the tweet. <laughs> This is, by the way, speaking of gifts, social media is this horror. is an absolute gift to this show, and we will discuss when we come back. FanDuel.com slash OK360. You need to go check out this link if you are a first-time user of FanDuel. If you've thought about it, if you're in the state of Tennessee or across the 10 states where you can do this, FanDuel.com slash OK360, up to $1,000 back if you strike out on your first bet. Paul has the parlay option today. We will have that as we wrap up the show later. But we want to remind you, if you're a new user, go to FanDuel.com slash OK360 and try FanDuel Sportsbook where you can bet up to $1,000 and you'll get up to $1,000 back in site credit if you strike out on your first bet. As Chad likes to say, why have you not done this already? And Gotta if you do haven't, it. go Take to FanDuel.com slash OK360. Do it. Hey, it's Jonathan Hutton. Thanks for listening to Outkick 360. Be sure to subscribe to the show to have the latest podcast delivered to you each and every day. And give us five stars. It helps us grow our network and provide you with more great podcasts like this one.